Romans chapter 6. We're going to jump right into it this morning in verse 15. It says this, What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. We have been studying through the book of Romans, and when Paul asked this question, what then, he's referring back to a previous statement or what he's previously showed us. And just up in verse 14, he said this, he said, For sin shall not have dominion over you. That means it shouldn't rule over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. And here in our language, in our culture, we read this, shall we sin, that, or, or, or let me back up. We read, we read a statement like we were just read in verse 14, and it's not really, maybe it's not that big of a deal because the law, you know, most of us weren't brought up under a law. But what you have to understand is back in that day, as Paul's writing to the church in Rome, it was made up of two kinds of people. It was either Jewish people who had turned to Christ, or it was Romans, Gentiles, who didn't know Christ. For the Jewish person that had, had grown up underneath of the law, Paul now says you're not under the law anymore. It's like he's taking away part of their, of, of their, of, of their identity, of who they are. It's taking away a part of their culture. They've always found their righteousness or their, their right standing before God based on how they were doing it, keeping the law. And while we've made a lot of comparisons to even, maybe you've heard the term legalism or legalistic Christian. Well, they do much of the same thing. You, you try to find, you, you set these standards, and if you keep these standards, then you're right before God. And if you don't keep them, then you're not right before God. And as Paul makes his statement here, it's a rather bold statement. You know, to the Jewish believer, it was a radical statement. What do you mean I'm not under the law anymore? I can be a believer in Christ, but I'm still under the law. What do you mean? I don't understand, Paul. If I'm under the law, they would say, if I'm not under the law that I'm not under any consequence, so therefore I can do whatever I want. And Paul would answer that question by saying, certainly not. Because the very next, or the very beginning of the question says, shall, shall we sin? Shall we sin? That's a good question. Shall we sin? As believers, is it okay to sin? Shall we sin? Is that something that we should be doing as a believer? Paul would say, no, absolutely not. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? He says it emphatically, certainly not. Certainly not. Well, what's the purpose of the law? We told you back in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the law entered so that the offense might abound. Paul said the law has a purpose. We're not just disregarding it. What the law shows us is that we need a savior. As we try to set up standards in our life, as they try to live up to the Hebrew law, what always happens? You always fail. You always fall short. You can only live up to your, own, your very own standards, the ones that you set in your life. You can only live up to them so long before you find yourself becoming complacent or not living up to them. The law brings us a need for a savior. And, and now, just like you're in Christ, we talked about you're no longer in Adam, you're in Christ. We're no longer underneath of this law. I mean, as a believer in Christ, we're not underneath of the Hebrew law. And you're not underneath of any other standard that you would put on yourself. You're walking in grace in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. And that's really good news that Paul's telling us. We're no longer bound. Your, your, your behavior, your, uh, you know, your righteousness before God is not based on how you are doing. It's not, it's not that way. But look real closely at the question he says. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace. Certainly not. Previously, in chapter 6, verse 1, we read a very similar question. Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then here he says, shall we sin? We are not under the law, but under grace. The answer to that question is the same. Certainly not, or God forbid. But my question to you is, is it the same question? Is he just rephrased the same thing? 
Unfortunately, sometimes in our English language, from the Greek translation to the English language, there's something that gets lost there. And if you're a Bible student, you're going to need, I'm going to give you a book that you need to get. His name's Kenneth Wiest, or Kenneth Woost. He's the author of the book. The book is called Word Studies in the Greek New Testament. And you wonder, Rob, where do you get all these words? Like, you always talk about the Greek means this, and it really means that. Where do you get, I get it all from his book. He's really smart, I'm not, but I can read what he says, and then you guys think I'm smart because I tell you what he says. That's kind of the way that it works. So as I read his book, I began looking at this, and I thought, you know, it's kind of the same question over and over. Is is he asking the same question? And here's what the difference is. In verse 1, the verb form means, it means habitual sin. So Paul's saying, essentially, is it okay for a believer to continue in habitual sin, mean living a life of sin like you did before you were saved? Is it okay to live that way? And the answer to that question would be, certainly not, or God forbid. But the verb tense here in verse 15 refers to a single sin or one sin. So essentially what Paul's saying is he's saying is, is it okay for a believer to sin? Is, is a little bit of sin okay in a believer's life? Is, is an occasional sin all right once in a while? It's okay. I mean, everybody does. That's not a big deal. Right, Paul? What does Paul say? Certainly not. Or God forbid in the King James. In other words, Paul's answering the question, since we are not under the law, is it okay for us to have a little sin or occasional sin in our life? <laughs> Certainly not. There is no room for sin in the life of the believer. Why not? Everybody's doing it. Look at verse 2. Paul says in, I'm sorry, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. In our study through chapter 6, we've come to the fourth thing that Paul specifically says, do you not know or, do you, or you need to know something? The first do not or don't you know was in verse 3. Paul said, you need to know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, that we were baptized into his death. The second thing he wanted us to know was know that your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That was in verse 6. The third thing he wants us to know is knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. That was in verse 9. And here in verse 16, we find another thing that he wants us to know, or rather he says, you guys should know this. You should know. To whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Whoever or whatever you present yourself to obey, you become that thing's, that person's, that one's slave. Wait a minute, Rob. Wait a minute. I thought Paul, I thought you said last week and the week before, Paul said we're free from sin. I, I thought that was a possibility, that we're, we're free from sin. Yes, but we are free from sin. But here's what Paul's saying. There's a choice in the life of a believer. Paul would say a non-believer has no choice. They're going to obey their flesh, which is going to lead them into sin. The believer has a choice. We no longer have to pick up those chains of bondage to our flesh. We have the ability to tell ourselves or our flesh no. He's told us that we're free from the penalty of sin in the book of Romans. Paul's told us that we're free from the power of sin in the book of Romans. We no longer have to obey it. Now Paul's telling us or he's talking to us about the presence of sin in our life. The penalty of sin, covered at the cross. The power of sin, covered at the cross. The presence of sin, that's up to you. That's essentially what he's saying. That's up to you. How much of it do you want? How, do, you, do you want to walk worthy of your calling? Do you want to walk in righteousness? Or do you want to, well, a little bit's okay. 
If I can look across the room at the person sitting next to me and don't do that, and you say, oh, well, I'm doing better than they are. At least I go to work every day. At least I have a good paying job. At least I don't do and I don't, it can be very tricky because you might tend to think, well, my sin's not so bad. My sin's more socially acceptable. My sin's more morally acceptable. My, my sin, everybody does my sin. It's still sin. It still disqualifies you. It's still, you still need a savior. It doesn't matter how bad it is. We can't, we don't classify our sins as one being worse than the other. We're still in need of a savior. But what Paul is saying here is he's asking this question, or maybe he's sort of asking it. Are you, am I presenting myself to sin? Are you giving your life to sin? Or are you giving your life in obedience to Christ, which will lead to righteousness? Well, how do I present my life to sin? What does that look like? It looks like you following the lust of your flesh. It follow, whatever your body desires, you give it. Whatever your, whatever your, your, your body, whatever your desires, whatever, your, whatever it is that you crave, you just answer it. If, if my body craves donuts, I eat donuts. If my body craves some other kind of fulfillment, I just go ahead and fulfill it. I let my body be the one that dictates to me back and forth. I just, I'd be the one that never really, I don't tell my body, I don't tell my flesh, which is what I'm standing here, do you see my flesh? I have the ability to tell my flesh what it's going to do and what it's not going to do, but don't underestimate the power of your flesh to try to persuade you to do something. Did you ever skip a meal? What happens? Right around lunchtime, oh, I'm getting hungry. Oh, I'm going to eat. What happens if you miss a meal? Nothing. But yet, what does your body tell you? Oh, you ever skipped your morning coffee? What happens? I get a headache. I need my caffeine. Are you kidding me? That's what your body, you've got to have it. What happens if you keep going? Well, eventually the headache goes away and you don't need it and you can keep right on, right on moving. But, you know, we, I, I use caffeine jokingly. I drink coffee, by the way. Uh, I use that jokingly, but if I don't drink my coffee, I get a headache in the mornings. So what do I do? I respond to my flesh in that way. I need to have my flesh. I need to feed my flesh so I don't get my headache. Well, how much of that is okay? Paul says none. None of it's okay. Don't, don't be feeding your flesh at all. Whatever you're presenting yourselves to obey, you are that one's slave. Am I enslaved by my coffee? And again, I'll use it jokingly because we probably all do it. I am. Because if I don't get my coffee, what happens? I'm cranky and I get a headache in the morning. But I know if I just have my coffee, it's fine. It's not a big deal. I only have one cup. No big deal. But in a sense, am I enslaved to that? Absolutely I am. Paul says you shouldn't be enslaved to anything. So I'm still working on what I'm teaching you. I just want you to know. Whatever you're presenting yourself to obey, that's the thing that you're a slave. Let me say it another way. Coffee, probably not a big deal. But when it comes to other things, take a look at your life and see what you're obeying, and it'll tell you what your master is. Flip it around. Take a look at your life and say, Where am I, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my thoughts? What am I doing with my members? Remember to present our members to righteousness, and that will simply tell you what your master is. If I'm addicted to something... Drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, shopping, eating, whatever it is, do you realize you're a slave to that thing? And we can look around, and I just gave you a quick list. Well, the, the, the person addicted to shopping is not, a, not, as, not as bad as the person addicted to drugs. Or the person addicted to you know, alcohol, well, that's not as bad as hard drugs. No, it's all sin. It all enslaves you, Paul says. It's enslaving. It all, it all, it, it dictates what you do. It, it drives you. It's what motivates you. It's what moves you throughout the day. And Paul says, as Christians, we shouldn't be enslaved to anything. We shouldn't be enslaved. We should be presenting ourselves to Christ, presenting ourselves to the Lord, presenting our members to Him in righteousness. Whatever you're presenting yourself to obey, you are that one's slave. According to what Paul's saying, we don't need to be a slave to anything. We don't, to, to our flesh. 
if you want to stop being a slave, there's a couple of things you must do. A couple of things. I'm going to just kind of tell you what you have. If there's something in your life that you feel, man, I am enslaved to this thing. I, I really am enslaved. I, 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 let's say you want to stop drinking coffee, okay? I'm, I really want to get past this. How do you do that? How do you do that? First thing you do, what Paul tell us in verse 11? Reckon yourself dead to sin. Reckon yourself dead. I don't have to. You, you realize I don't have to do this anymore. I, have, I don't have to do it. I, if I wanted to quit drinking coffee, I can say, I don't have to drink coffee. I can stop. Yes, there might be a headache. Yes, there might be some irritableness for a few days, but it's going to go away. I don't have to do that. I reckon myself to be dead to that. Number two, I present myself to God as being alive from the dead. Uh, we read that in verse in chapter 6, verse uh, 13. I, I say, Lord, I'm, I've been enslaved to this thing. I'm dead to this thing now that's been in my life, and now I'm presenting myself to you, Lord. So the hands that I used to use to do this thing that enslaved me, I'm now going to take these hands and I'm going to use them for you. The eyes that I used to do that watch this thing that enslaved me, I'm going to now turn it around and I'm going to take these eyes and I'm going to use them for you. The voice, the mouth that caused me to be enslaved, I'm going to take it, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to offer it to you. That's what we read in verse, the last part of verse 13. What am I doing? I'm presenting the number three thing. Present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's my hands, my feet, my mouth, my eyes. It's, it's, it's my body. I'm presenting it to the thing. The very things that I used that enslaved me, I am no longer going to present them to the thing that enslaves me because that's what I'm doing. And again, I'll use, I'll use coffee as an example. It's kind of funny for all of us. I'm no longer going to make coffee with my hands in the morning. Instead, I'm going to use my hands to open the Bible. I'm no longer going to smell the coffee anymore. I'm going to use my nose for something else. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to change what I'm doing. Now, again, I'm making light of it being coffee, but what if it's something more serious? What, it, how, what does it say to the drug addict or to the alcoholic or to the, the man or the woman stuck in pornography or the, or the shopping problem or the spending money problem or whatever the problem is, whatever the addiction? You have the ability to say, no, I am no longer going to take these body parts that are pursuing this addiction. I'm going to turn them around and I'm going to give them to God and I'm going to let them pursue righteousness. That's what Paul's saying. That's the option that a believer has. If you're a Christian this morning and you're struggling with sin, you're back and forth, you're, you're, you're trying, you're, you're, you're back and forth with it. If you want to stop being a slave to sin, if, if, if that's you and you're going back and forth, I'm going to guarantee you that you're not reckoning yourself to be dead to it. You see, I'm going to guarantee that you're considering yourself alive to it. It's an option in your life. It's something you think about. It's something that you, you plan. It's something that you consider. It's something that's on your mind. It's something that you can't wait till you get to do again. You're not reckoning yourself dead to it. When the thought or the temptation comes, you don't say, I'm dead to that. I'm no longer, that, that's not who I am anymore. That's the old me. I, I don't do that anymore. You don't, you're probably not doing that. You're not presenting yourself to the Lord if you're struggling with the sin. You're presenting yourself to the sin that you're struggling with. Here I am. Here's my body parts. Here's my members. Go ahead. Go ahead. And lastly, you're probably even going as far as making a provision for the flesh. Paul would tell us later on in the book of Romans in chapter 13 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh, which means you're probably always going as far as I'm planning this. I'm, I'm looking for the opportune time. I'm, I'm going to certain places. I'm, I'm doing this. In, it's, it's, it's methodical. It's planned out. Paul says we don't have to live that way. He's telling us you have a choice. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that doesn't have to be the way that we live. We no longer need to wear those chains of bondage to sin. 
Yes, there's still, think of it this way. I think a chain, I always think, you ever see one of those big, fat, heavy chains that hold a boat anchor? Like the big ship anchor, really big. I just picture them laying on the ground. And I picture me picking them up and putting them on my shoulder, me carrying them around. That, that's what sin is. That's the bondage of sin. And I can, in Jesus Christ, I can take that chain off and I can throw it down. But it's still laying there. And what happens? I, I, I'm free. I set it down. I walk out of here free. And then I go home and I look back at the chain and go, well, I could pick a little bit up. I'm just going to pick a few links up. I'm just going to, let me just try it out. It was, you know, I'm, I'll call it exercise. It's heavy. I'm working out. Let's do it that way. We'll justify it, rationalize it in some way. And I throw that chain back on my shoulders, and there I am, and it's getting heavier and heavier, and it's burdening me, and I'm, oh, Lord, you know, I need to get rid of it, and I throw it back off again. Now I'm free again. You know believers that live that way with a sin? In and out, back and forth. Paul says you have a choice. You can, let, you can consider yourself dead to that chain, that sin, you can drop it off here today at church and never pick it up again. You don't have to pick it up. You don't have to. If you're struggling with it, you're not reckoning yourself to be dead to sin. You're not presenting yourself to the Lord. You're presenting yourself to the sin. And you're probably even making provision to fulfill the sin in your life. You're probably even allowing yourself. Paul's saying you have a choice. You don't have to do it. You don't have to keep putting yourself back under the bondage of sin. And this is huge in Christianity. Because I talk to too many people that are struggling back and forth with sin. And I always want to say, just take the chain off and leave it off. You don't have to pick it up. You don't have to, you don't have to serve that master anymore. You can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You have free from that. But he makes this point. You're guaranteed to serve someone. You're guaranteed to serve someone. Either you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to righteousness. Or... You're serving yourself. You're serving sin. You go, Rob, no, that's not me. I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve. No, I don't even believe in God. I, I, no, you, there's no option in this. If, if you don't believe in God, then your life is spent serving yourself. Then, then you do what makes you happy. It might not necessarily, you know, you might not be a serial killer or anything, but, but your, your, your life is spent revolving around serving you, and I do, what, I do what makes me happy, and if I like it, I'm going to do it. I don't care about anybody else and, until somebody comes in my life. Even when you, get a, you start to get married, think about getting married, I'm going to find somebody who pleases me and who fits my standards, my requirements. It becomes a very selfish thing. It becomes that way. So you're, he, what Paul's saying is you are serving somebody. Ask yourself the question, who am I serving? Who am I offering myself to? Who am I offering my body to? Who am I offering my eyes to? Is it leading to death and sin? Now in verse 17, Paul gives thanks for salvation. He said, but God be thanked. God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin. Remember, he's speaking to the church here, the believers. You were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. Notice it's a before and after picture, if you will. You were slaves of sin, but what'd you do? You obeyed from the heart. You obeyed from the heart, and this is important. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that obedience, and it brings righteousness. That phrase, obeyed from the heart, is referring to faith. And it shows us two very important things about faith. Number one, faith comes from the heart, not from the mind. The faith in Christ comes from your heart. It doesn't come from your mind. You're saying, Rob, so I have to throw out my mind to believe? No, no, that's not it at all. 
Don't, don't ever throw out your mind. You need to be thinkers. But your faith, where faith, where it's birth, is in, it's, in, it's, in your, it's in your heart. It, it's, it takes faith to be able to believe. You say, well, well if I, th- th- does my mind follow? Yes, absolutely. I was a detective before I became a pastor. I was in, in law enforcement. I wanted evidence for belief. I did, to me, it was all about evidence. Show me the evidence if you want me to really believe. Is this really, is all this Bible stuff, is all this church stuff, is all this... Give me some evidence. Give me some facts. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, but they told me about a book. It's called Evidence Demands a Verdict from Josh McDowell. It's about this thick. I've got two copies of it. Everybody I give it out to. I've given it out to, I don't know how many people, even some of you guys, I've given it out to. And here's what usually happens. Either they start to read it and go, oh, I can't read this thing. It's, 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 I believe, I'm good, I've got all the evidence I need. Or it sits on their desk and they don't read it. But if they're seriously looking for the truth, and if you want it, I'll be glad to give you one today, it will show you, it will give you all the evidence for, sal- for Christ, all the evidence for the scriptures. He lays it out in a tremendous way. It's what, it's what changed my life. It's what I said, this stuff is all real. The prophetic version, the prophetic stuff that all of us, it's being fulfilled from the Old Testament to the New Testament. How did God know thousands of years what was going to happen? The, pro- the prophecies about Jesus Christ alone are amazing. And they just, it, it, probability-wise, it's, it's, it's impossible that it could ever happen the way that it did. But it, the reason I had to see that the mind isn't where the faith began. It was in my heart. I had to believe it. My mind certainly justifies it. I have no problem believing it. I have no problem understanding. I don't, I don't struggle with, is there really a God? I don't, I don't have to struggle with it anymore. I've seen all the evidence I need. It's out there for you. What Paul's saying is, number one, faith comes from the heart, not only the mind. Number two, he says this is important too, faith results in obedience. Because if we really believe something, we'll act according to that belief. Notice what he says. Faith results in obedience. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. If I really believe that Jesus Christ has set me free from sin, if I really believe and you really believe that he died on the cross for your sins, the moment that really kind of sinks in, that will change your life. It'll, It'll change who you are. Not that we work for our salvation because we don't, but when that happens, that changes who you are. It changes why you're living. It changes everything about yourself. The moment I believe that, I started asking a question to the Lord. Lord, why am I here? The moment I realized there's something more to life than you know, being a police officer and, and being a husband and being a dad. and there, this, this can't be all there is in life. There's got to be something more. I've lived my whole life to this point to serve myself, and I thought I'd done a pretty good job at it, and I had. I had a good career, I mean, good family, everything was, my life wasn't falling apart in that sense. It was, it was good, but I, then I, I hit the, when I really believed, the question became, what else is there, Lord? I know, I know you didn't just put me here to be a, a dad, and a, not that those aren't wonderful things, and, and mom, I know, I know those are great things, but I knew, I knew in my life there was something else, there was another, another calling. And, I, and for me, obviously, you guys know what it was. I left my job, moved from Florida to here, and became a pastor. And I don't like the word higher calling, because my calling is not higher than your calling. Your calling is just as high as my calling. My calling is to be here teaching, but if he called, whatever he's called you to do is just as high. You might not be standing here. You know, you might not be in front of people teaching the Bible, but if he called you to be a plumber or a stay-at-home mom or homeschool your kids or be a teacher, whatever it is, those callings are just, just as high. The only way it's not is if you're not fulfilling your calling. That's the only way it's not as high. It is just as high for whatever he's called you to do, whether it's a janitor, who cares what it is? Am I, am I doing what God called me to do? And when I realized that, there was obedience that took place in my life. Now, I'd love to tell you that everything changed overnight. All of a sudden, I became this great person, and you know, all of a sudden, everything I was doing you know, sinful stopped. never worked that way for me. 
It's always been a slow process. I draw closer to the Lord and he shows me something. I draw closer to the Lord and he shows me something else. I draw closer to the Lord and I keep thinking I'm almost done. And the closer I get, the more undone I realize that I really am. It just keeps going that way. The closer I get, I'm like, oh, there's more, Lord. I thought if I just got past this one thing like 15 years ago, I'd be good. He says, no, there's more. I'm, I'm, if you're going to be teaching, I want you to be living this thing. I want you, you know, when I teach every week, I've got to, I'm challenged with the very things that I'm teaching. So Paul's saying faith comes from the heart, not only from the mind. And he also tells us obedience from the heart will bring, it'll bring behavior that responds. It should change your life. We shouldn't be Christians that live like the rest of the world. If we are, we really have to look and say, is, are we really saved? Do I, do I really have an encounter with the living God that, that died for me? Do I really understand that if there's nothing changing in my life? But I also want to say, don't overlook the little steps. Don't overlook the small things. Because sometimes we're too judgmental in ourselves. We'll sit and we'll look what, what, what kind of day we had. Oh, I had a bad day. I must not be saved. No, that's not the answer. Look where you came from. Where were you last year? Where were you five years ago? Where were you 10 years ago? Are you growing in the Lord? Have you, don't look at what today or, or la, don't even look at the week because you're going to have those times of setback. You're going to have those times of difficulty. The Lord wants you to grow in. Don't doubt your salvation. I mean, you can, you know, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're not going to make these mistakes. Some of you are being challenged here this morning. It's possible for a believer to be legally free from sin, but still choose to live like a prisoner in bondage to sin. And that's what we want to try to avoid. You see, it's possible for me to be a believer in Jesus Christ, be free from sin. I can take off this chain anytime I want, but yet I don't. I just carry it around through my whole life. I'm carrying this heavy anchor. I'm carrying this heavy weight. I'm carrying this struggle. I'm carrying this sin, just dragging it around with me. Is that any way to live? That's not the way that we should be living. We should be dumping these chains. It's possible to be legally free from sin and to take off the chain and to put it back on and to take off the chain and to put it back on and to take it off and put it back on. But it's not necessary. It's not necessary. We don't have to live that way. Robert, are you suggesting that we should never sin again? Go right ahead. I, I, I think that should be your goal. If you figure it out, let me know. I want to know. But I think that that's what Christ did. Christ, the same Holy Spirit, the same power that is in him was in us. He did it. And I'm not suggesting that we'll never sin again because as long as you're in this body, in this flesh, there's going to be times, like my morning coffee, I guess, where if you want to call it addiction, I guess you could. But it's certainly not perfection. So, Paul says in verse 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So what does it mean to be free from sin? It means sin is no longer your master, your boss, your, your, it, it, it's righteousness that I'm serving. It's no longer, I'm not planning how to sin. I'm not going out. I'm not accepting it in my life. It's not what I'm presenting myself to. It's not, it's not part of my daily plans. It's, it's not there. But notice what he says, you are a slave of righteousness. We don't really like the word slave, do we? We like to think more of we're independent. We can kind of do what we want when we want. And we don't really like to think of ourselves as being a slave, and it's actually kind of a bad word. You know, nobody wants to be a slave. Paul constantly refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He's a bond slave, which means he's done there. He's put himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. But this word doulos, a slave of righteousness. The Greek word is doulos. What's it mean? It's got four definitions. Same guy, same book I told you about earlier. It says this. It's one who is born into a condition of slavery. 
You're born into a condition of slavery. You're born into a condition of righteousness. Isn't that true with the believer? Aren't we born again in Jesus Christ? You're born into that. You're born into it. It's one whose will, your will, your desires, one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. It means that my will is not as important as the Lord's will any longer. My goals aren't as important as his goals. My desires aren't as important as his desires. It's me saying to the Lord, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll work where you want me to work. I'll go where you want me to go. Your will is more important than my will. It wasn't my will as I started my career path to move to Cumberland and be a pastor. I had my whole police career planned out, and I was doing okay on those steps. I was right where I wanted to be. That wasn't my will. My will was to continue on in law enforcement, continue doing what I was doing. The Lord said, that's not my will for your life. Oh, I'm going to use all those things. I'm going to use all those experiences, but here's what I want you to do. And then became the step of faith and the obedience. It also means this, one who is bound to the master with bonds only death can break. It's one who is bound with the, to the master, tied to the master. You see, so often we want, what, we want God. Give me, give me Lord. Give me Jesus. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm sick. I'm dying. I need help. Give me Jesus. And All right, well, if you won't heal me, then I don't want you anymore. Uh, if, if you won't do what I want you to do, Lord, will you help me financially? I, I saw this preacher on TV, and he told me that I need to send in a hanky. And if I send in a hanky, he's going to pray for it and dribble water on it and send it back to me. And I'm going to get a million dollars. I'm going to be blessed with favor. And I did that. It didn't work. So I don't want you. That's not the God that I want. That's not, that's not what it is. That's a bunch of nonsense, by the way, on TV. Not all of them, but most of them. One who is bound to the master, tied to the master. Are you in with the Lord no matter what your life brings? No matter what paths you have to cross, no matter what, what road you walk down, no matter what hardship comes your way, are you tied to him for life? That's what it means to be a slave. Not whining, not complaining. Lord, here I am. Walk with me. Yes, I'll walk through this. The fourth thing it means, it's one who serves his master to the disregard of his own interests. One who serves his master to the disregard. Rob, that's kind of like hardcore stuff. I thought we were just coming to church and hearing a Christmas message. No, this is what Christianity is supposed to be. Christianity is hardcore. We even in America have made it, I don't know what we've made it. Christianity is hardcore. It's being sold out for Jesus Christ, being a slave to him, saying, I will do whatever you want me to do, Lord. When people do that, revival happens. It happens in them, and it happens around people around them. It's when it happens in your heart, and it happens in your life, when you say, I'm going to change the way that I'm living my life. I'm going to be sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sold out. I'm the servant. I'm the one no longer telling people what to do. I'm the one going to the Lord saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want? Somebody asked me not long ago, well, not really this morning, but somebody asked me, about, about the church. They said, hey, you guys are getting really full on Sunday. What are you going to do? Are you going to look for a new building? Are you going to go to two services? What are you going to do? And I said, I don't know what we're going to do. Right now, no one's sitting on the floor. There's always empty seats available, and until God says do something, we're not going to do anything. Well, what's the, you got to plan. I didn't plan to get here, and I'm not planning from this point on. What started in the Spirit, we're going to continue in the Spirit. We're not going to try to figure it all out now. If God wants us to move, grow, and we need a bigger building, he'll, he'll give us a bigger building somehow or some way. We're not pursuing that. There's no five-year plan on church growth here. You know, we just want to know, Lord, what do you want in this? How do we serve you in this? He goes on to say in verse 19, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. In verse 19, Paul's apologizing. 
He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. He's really saying, I'm sorry for using slavery as an illustration because he knew that many of the people there were slaves. He's essentially saying, look, guys, I know slavery is probably not the best, the best word picture I could use for you, but it is so accurate. It is so makes my point. It is right where we need to be. Think of yourselves as slaves. That's what he's saying. I apologize. For the, but I'm do, doing this because of the weakness of your flesh. And he goes on to instruct them. Just like you presented your members to uncleanness and lawlessness before you were saved, now present your members to righteousness for holiness. Just like you spent your life before you were saved seeking after the flesh. And those weren't always sinful things, let me say. Just because we say flesh doesn't always mean sinful. It doesn't always mean, you know, my flesh has to eat. My flesh might have a hobby. My flesh might, you know, just because we say flesh, it's not necessarily inherently sinful. But what it is, it's my, me allowing my body, me allowing my inward desires to lead me and tell me what I'm going to do. And Paul said, just like you spent that, spent before you were saved, just like you were doing that, now present your members to righteousness. Now here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes people, they get saved and they figure, I got to stop doing this. I got, you know, I, I, got, I got saved, so now I got to stop using bad language, or I got I to stop doing something, or I got to stop, whatever it is, they, they want to clean themselves up a little bit. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't just stop doing something. It's time to take what you were doing, take the body parts that you were using to do it, and present it to righteousness. In other words, don't just quit. Replace it with something. Replace it with something. I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. This, if, 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 if you're a guy here that likes old cars and what it's, it's, or cars, it's, I'm not referring to you. There's nothing wrong with having a hobby, but I'm just going to kind of paint this picture. Let's say that I was a guy who loved cars or old cars, and I would spend my Sunday mornings cleaning my car, and I would spend my money on, on buying parts for my car, and I would spend my time fixing my car, and I would spend all that time doing that stuff. Again, there's nothing wrong with a hobby, but there is a problem when it, when it takes over your life, okay? If I was that kind of person, what Paul's saying is, listen, take the money that you were spending, take the time that you were spending, and take the, uh, and, and take the uh, talents, the ability to do that, and cash them in for Jesus Christ. Cash them in for the Lord. In other words, take the time that I was spending, all the time that I would spend looking at cars and thinking about cars and buying cars and looking at, reading car mag, all that stuff. All the, take some of that and give it to the Lord. Don't just stop. Don't replace it with TV. Don't replace it with something of, 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 of no value. Cash it in and give it to the Lord. Take the money that you're spending. Take the money and, and give it to the Lord. And again, please, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a hobby. I want to make that perfectly clear. There's not. But when, it come, when, it, when a hobby takes over your life, you're essentially serving your flesh. It becomes all about serving what you want. Take the, take the talents. If I'm the car guy and I can fix cars, well, I like working on cars, so I love cars. Well, maybe I go to the church and I fix people's cars who can't afford to have their car fixed. And I'm still working on cars. I'm just now doing it for the Lord. You see how it works? I, I don't just quit doing something. Oh, that's a, that's a problem in my life. I'm just going to cut it out. No, take the things that you were doing with it and give it to the Lord and watch what he does with it. That's what Paul's saying when he says present. Present. Now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Look at verse 20. Oh, I didn't cover this part. Notice what he says here. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So before you were saved, you presented yourself to uncleanness, to lawlessness, or to sin, or to your flesh, whatever you want to call it. And what did he say? It leads to more sin. 
it leads to more lawlessness. It leads to more of it. Lawlessness leads to lawlessness. Paul's essentially saying a little bit of sin in your life will lead to more sin in your life. A little bit. You say, Rob, no, a little bit's fine. No, no, that's not according to what the scripture says. A little bit of sin is going to lead to more sin. Well, how is that possible? Because sin doesn't satisfy you. When you follow the desires of your flesh, when you get what your flesh desires, it desires something else. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never, you'll never, you, you I, I love watch, I, I like to watch football. And I love, I remember it was, uh, I think it was Nick Saban who won the national championship with Alabama. I think it was his first one. They said, how long are you going to enjoy this? He said, 24 hours. And I'm on to next year. You, you worked a whole year, a whole lifetime to win a national championship. You're going to enjoy it for 24 hours. Why? Because I'm not done. I want more. I'm not done. I'm, 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 not, I'm not, my flesh wants more. One's not enough. And in his case, he's successful at it. He's, he keeps winning them, you know. But it, it, if, you, if you follow your flesh, you will never be happy because it'll always be wanting something that you don't, you, it can never be satisfied. It can never take you to a point where you go, wow, I finally got what I want. I finally got it. It will ultimately lead you to death. It'll ultimately kill you. That's what Paul's saying. Yes, you might enjoy it. Yes, it might be fun for a season. Yes, it might even be entertaining and people might like you, but it's ultimately going to tear you apart and tear you down. That's how you can look at people that have all the money and all the wealth and all the houses and all the cars and all the stuff, and they look at you if they're honest, and many will say, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not there. There's something missing in my life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You've served your flesh to the utmost extent. You've bought everything you can buy, and now there's still a void. You don't know what to do. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the void. You start serving him. I don't care if it's cleaning bathrooms in a church somewhere, you'll be happy. You'll find the fulfillment that you're looking for. That's what Paul's saying. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. The serving of your flesh will lead to more and more and more. And he goes on in verse 21, or verse where we stop, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now we don't get that. That's Paul being sarcastic here. That, that's the, you know, it, Paul, it's kind of him being super sarcastic. He's, in other words, what he's saying is, what freedom was there when you were a slave to sin? There was none. The only freedom you had is righteous. You weren't righteous. You, you, he's saying, there, 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 what freedom was there when you were a slave to sin? None. The only thing you were free from was righteousness. That's the only thing you didn't have. That's the only thing. And we have a tendency to think the unsaved person or, well, I'm not, I'm the one that's free. You Christians are, they're the ones that are in bondage. No, not true at all. I'm the one that can commit sin and still be saved, but I choose not to. You're the one that has to follow your flesh because you have no other option, no other choice. It, it, it might not look sinful, but you're still following a life served after your flesh. It's still going to bring you emptiness. It's still going to bring you, there's, there's going to be no joy there. There's going to be no peace. There's always going to be something missing. I'm the one that I could sin if I wanted to and still be saved, but I choose not to. In other words, what he's saying is the unsaved person is the one in bondage to sin. They might think they are free, but really the believer is the only one who is free from sin. They have been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin. And Paul is saying there shouldn't even be a presence of sin in our life as a believer. It shouldn't be. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. We should be so different from the rest of the world. They should look at us and go, what is, tell me about your life. Tell me why you're doing the way, why do, you, why do you do that? And it should draw people unto ourselves. And he goes on to illustrate in verse 21, he says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? 
for the end of those things are death. So Paul says, what was the fruit? What was the effect on your life before Christ? How was your marriage doing before you were a believer? How was your job doing? How how are your kids growing up? How how are they as as a mom and a dad? How'd you do it raising your kids before you came to Christ? What what was the effect? What was the fruit? You know, you planted things in your life. What, What fruit was it bearing? You see, sin is fun for a season, but it's going to bear fruit unto death. If you want to walk in victory over sin, you must identify the fruit of sin. You must see what is this producing in my life. You need to get honest with what does overspending produce in your life? It produces debt. What does debt produce? It produces financial problems. What does financial problems produce? It produces marriage problems. What does marriage problems produce? It produces divorce. What does divorce produce? It produces problems with your kids. You see, you've got to follow, the, follow it out. You've got to play it out. Don't, don't just come to a point where you go, oh, it's no big deal. You know, so, so we overspend, we got a little bit of debt. No, do you, do you understand what that's bringing into a marriage or into a relationship? Where does it go? Where does it lead you to? What's the ultimate? Where does that road that you're on go? Do you realize, and let me say this quickly, do you realize the one thing that is keeping every one of us from being a better person, from being a better husband, from being a better wife, from being a better friend, from being a better employee, an employer, whatever you want, whatever you want to get better at, do you realize the one thing that's keeping you from it is sin? It's sin. In whatever form, whether it be pride or whether it be an addiction, whatever form it comes in, it's, it's, what, it's what keeps us, it's what holds us back. It's what keeps us from being who we really want to be. If we would just get past it and we would, start, and we would realize I'm dead to that. I'm now going to offer my life and my body to Christ. I'm not going to live to that anymore. If we would get off the fence and throw down the chains and leave them there, how much more glorious, victorious life could we walk as a believer? Instead of being bound and, and, and caught up. And you know The old bumper sticker says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Oh, we're so much more than forgiven. We've given power over sin. We've, the penalty, we, the, there is no penalty for sin to the believer. We're not in that same realm. We don't even want the presence of sin. We're, we're not just forgiven and we can just live like this. Paul's saying, act like a believer. You've got something here. Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin, again, I don't know how many times he said it, but now having been set free from sin, having become slaves, there's that word again, of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ you're set free from sin and we should become a slave to God. We missed that last part. We missed that last part. I challenge you that this morning, if you're not already, that you begin looking at yourself as a slave of Jesus Christ. And you begin to look where you live, where you go to school, where you work. I, I challenge you to ask the Lord on those things. Well, what do I do if I'm, don't do anything until you hear from him. Just wait, pursue it. Lord, I want an answer. He's not going to give you an answer if you're not going to listen anyways. You see, I'm tied to him until death, so I'm going to follow what he says. When you work for sin, when you work for sin, when that's your focus, it will pay you a wage. It'll pay you, no different than your boss pays you when you go to work. It'll pay you a wage, but that wage is death. A long, slow, and empty death. Separate for eternity from the Lord God Almighty. Burning in a lake of fire, that's that's where the sin will take you. Adam Clark, an old commentator, said this about the wages of sin being death. Every sinner earns this by long, sore, and painful service. Oh, what pains do men take to get to hell. 
Early and late they toil at sin. And would not divine justice be in their debt if it did not pay them their due wage? In other words, that's what they're working for. That's what their life is all about, is about sin, about the flesh, just following it one after the other. Would it, would it be right for them not to get what they're looking for, what they're serving? You see, the scripture is telling us where it's leading. We as believers need to realize, and Paul wants us to understand, that eternal life is not worked for, but it's received as a free gift. The result of that free gift is the Christian is set free from sin, no longer in bondage of sin, set free from the penalty of sin. The power of sin is no more. We no more should have sin as our master than a slave would put them, a freed slave would put themselves back into slavery. Yet we need to not put ourselves back into the slavery of the same very sins that we're set free from. In verse 15, in verse 15, Paul asked this question when we started, what then shall we sin? And he's referring to occasionally. Should it be okay to have a little sin in our life because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul said no, certainly not, absolutely not. Paul's made it clear that as believers we have a change of ownership. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're set free from that master of sin and you're placed in Jesus Christ. Yes, you can pick it up. Yes, you can still go back. Yes, you have that opportunity. You have that choice. But you don't have to. You don't have to go back. The Christian must fight against sin on every occasion we must work for our new master jesus christ it's not works producing salvation it's salvation producing works in us it needs to be that way now if you're a christian this morning i want you to know and i want you to walk out of here i want you to believe this absolutely that you're free from the penalty of sin and that you're free from the power of sin that sin has no power over you and i want you to then get your life free of the presence of sin I, don't, I want you to walk, walk holy and walk righteous and walk upright. I don't want to hear the excuse, well, everybody does it. And I speak to myself, too. I don't speak to you from a higher position or a higher authority. I speak to myself as one of you. Because I, too, am working on all of these very things that I'm sharing with you. And I will continue to work on them until the day I meet the Lord face-to-face and I get rid of this body. But we need to be people who we don't settle for sin that we say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I want you to walk out of here with a new mind this morning that says I'm dead to sin. I reckon the old man dead. I'm alive to Christ and I will present my body to him. I will present my mind, my eyes, my mouth, all of the things that I once presented to evil, I will present them to the Lord. All the things that I once used just to satisfy myself, I'm going to present them to the Lord and see what he wants to do with them. That's the way that we're supposed to be as a Christian. If not, it's been well said that the mathematics of sin is always the same. Any math people in here? Nobody. You guys don't like math? Kevin, there you go, one math person. Listen carefully. I wrote this down. I thought it was really cool. The mathematics of sin is always the same. It will add to your life sorrow. It will subtract from your life joy. It will multiply hurt in your life, and it will divide your heart. That's where it'll lead you. As Christians, let's walk free, not in bondage. Let's take the chains off and throw them down and walk out of here free, and let's not pick them up after we leave again. We don't have to. Oh, but you can. Oh, the temptation will come. Oh, your body will tell you you need to. Oh, there'll be all kinds of excuses and justifications and rationalizations. But if we would just say, Lord, I'm taking what I used to please myself with, and I'm going to give it to you and let you work with it. Imagine what he could accomplish. Let's pray. Father, this doesn't really seem like a before Christmas message. But yet it's very pertinent. It's where you have us in the book of Romans at the time. 
So Lord, I do pray, and it's my heart, that these promises, these truths of Scripture would jump off the page and become truths in our life. May they not just become suggestions or ideals that that'd be nice if it was true. Instead, may they come, become truth in our very own heart. May the faith in our heart believe that, the faith in our life. Even if we're not experiencing it today, may we take the step of faith and experience it. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing in my life personally. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of the people here. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the fellowship here, Lord, in the church. And I pray that you would continue, as your word says, that you will, he has begun a good work and you will continue until the day of Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I pray that promise and ask you to continue that work in us. And Lord, we look forward to you coming. And Father, as we approach Christmas this week, may we be at peace because we're with our Savior. And we offer ourselves to you. Lord, I don't think you ever intended us to be stressed out. You were never late, always on time, never worried, never behind. And we follow that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.